I'm Joni Guzman with the American Heart Association. We all know that stroke is a leading cause of death and disability. Together, we can change that. Join the American Heart Association and the Montana Stroke Initiative for a series of podcasts covering guideline-based stroke care from pre-hospital through acute treatment and even into post-acute care to learn more about timely, effective treatment guidelines and best practice sharing. Thank you so much for listening in. If you want to learn more about this project, you can go to heart.org forward slash Mission Lifeline Montana. Hi, and welcome to Montana Fast Chats. My name is Piper Kometz, and I'm a stroke nurse in Bozeman, Montana. And today on the show, we have Mary Lee Nunley, who is the founder of Retreat and Refresh Stroke Camps. So welcome, Mary Lee. Thank you very much. And Mary Lee, will you introduce yourself and tell us, okay, start over. Yeah. Yes, that sounds like a great idea. I approve. I approve. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Montana Fast Chats. My name is Piper Kometz and I'm a stroke nurse in Bozeman, Montana. Today on our show, we have Mary Lee Nunley, who is the founder of Retreat and Refresh Stroke Camp. So thank you for being here, Mary Lee. And just to get started, um, Mary Lee, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your your background, where you live, uh, kids, hobbies, previous professions? Absolutely. I'm happy to do so. And thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, I'm Mary Lee Nunley, and I am, let's see, primarily a caregiver um, for my husband, John, who has had a, a stroke. But in addition to that, personally, I have two adult sons, two daughter-in-laws, Two grandsons and two granddaughters. How about that for pairs of things? Um, as far as hobbies are concerned, when you're a full-time caregiver and still working at my advanced age, um, there aren't a whole lot of hobbies except cooking is, is a big one for me. Um, previous to starting this nonprofit, I was the vice president of operations for a consulting firm. So I've always kind of been in the people helping people business. Um, and I left corporate America to start this nonprofit retreat and refresh stroke camp to serve stroke survivors and their caregivers. And you mentioned that your husband is a stroke survivor. So can you tell us a little bit more about his stroke, how long you've been living with it? and what your day-to-day -day is like as a um, caregiver. It, yes, I can. His 22 stroke anniversary is tomorrow, the 9th of Whoa. September. Wow. So I have been his caregiver um, for 22 years. It was an ischemic stroke in his left carotid artery. Uh, he has been blessed with very good recovery. Aphasia is our biggest challenge, um, and it, you know, stroke is still with us every day, um, but he is, for the most part, able to take care of his activities of daily living. I have to manage medications and his insulin and all the things that go along with that because of his cognitive challenges. Um, his receptive aphasia, which is understanding the spoken word, is more challenging than his expressive aphasia. Um, but it is with us um, every day. But we have learned to cope. It took many years um, of of learning and educating myself, but we really, really have carved out a really good existence. And it's incredible. And amidst all of this and dealing with stroke and being a caregiver, as well as a family member, you have managed to create and build the Retreat and Refresh Stroke Camp business. Um, so 
Can you tell us a little bit about Retreat and Refresh Stroke Camp? When did it start? How many camps do you have now? And kind of what was the origin of it? Absolutely. That's that's kind of the fun story. Um, and it came out of my need as a caregiver uh, to have more information to understand how do people do this caregiving long term. At about the two-year mark following John's stroke, I was really struggling, feeling inadequate and just not sure how do you survive long term. And in our support group, there were people that had been dealing with caregiving for eight, 10, six, seven years. And I remember thinking, I don't want him to die, but I don't think I can do this for 10 years. Um, ha ha, I laugh about that now. Um, the reason that the stroke camp started was because I wanted to get to know my support group better. I wanted to know them more intimately, understand how they coped and all of that sort of thing. So the first retreat was just with my local support group um, here in Peoria, Illinois. That's where I, central Illinois. And um, it, it, it was kind of created after um, church camps and family camps that our church had done. And my sister had done a specialized camp for children with cystic fibrosis after her son passed from that disease to provide an experience for those children that otherwise wouldn't get to go to camp. So we kind of carved it out like that, only we decided instead of a week long, we would do a weekend. The first one was 19 years ago this month, and um, it was just, it was so much fun, and it was relaxing and energizing, and we really got to know each other and got to support and help each other. So we decided to do it again the next year, and we had so much interest that we ended up doing two camps the next year in 2005, and at that time, I was invited to do a magazine article for Stroke Connection Magazine, which was still in print at that time, about the week heard from people in eight different states within a couple of months of that article being published. <clears throat> and I was trying to find camps for those people. You know, I got online and I'm trying to find camps for those people. And lo and behold, there, there were none. There was no one that did quite what we did. We found a couple of aphasia type days and things, but nothing that was like a weekend so um, step in my current business partner, Larry Scher, who had the idea of making it a nonprofit and seeing if we could find hospitals, uh, stroke centers, uh, foundations that would want to bring this experience to their part of the country. And we were did a lot of pavement pounding, um, but those first few years, uh, but now we only respond to people who call us because the word has gotten out. and. Um, that's kind of the story. Our biggest year, we did 28 camps across the country. Wow. Um, we are uh, up to about, I haven't counted lately, I think we're up to about 310 camps since we started. And we've been in 28 different states um, through the years. Um, this year, we'll do about 20 camps. We didn't do any uh, COVID year. That really set us back. We lost 85% of our income that year, and we almost lost the business. Um, but we're coming back. It's such an inspiring story. And what I love about this, because I'm in the medical field, and when you have a stroke, you do need the medical field for certain things. But to survive the day-to-day, -day, and I'm speaking from experience and being a caregiver for my father uh, who had a stroke, to survive the day-to-day, -day, it's that community that you need. And um, I had chatted with you a little bit prior to this podcast, and I love that you brought up that 
uh, in your support groups and in stroke camp, you'll learn the things that you will never learn in a doctor's office from the other people who are going through this. And I just think that that's so important to have that conversation from kind of the boots on the ground people who are surviving stroke and dealing with it day to day. That's been one of the surprising uh, outcomes of the camp is is getting together in those discussion groups. And every camp, we have the caregivers together in their group, survivors together in their group. And really, there's no holds barred. We have a framework of questions and things to get the conversation going. But it goes in the direction that it, it takes each group is different. Each group takes on the energy of the participants. And I love to tell the story about um, my dear friend um, who has whose husband uh, was profoundly challenged, and she was a, a caregiver extraordinaire. And in one of our discussion groups, um, she was talking about her husband's drooling, uh, and, and she mopped him up all the time. God love her. She was a marvelous, wonderful wo- woman. And she said, well, Sierra Mist has a little quinine in it. So I give him a half a can of Sierra Mist right before church. And he doesn't drool for the hour of church because the quinine settles down those, uh, oh, the, what's the term I'm looking for? The saliva glands, the glands, the saliva glands. You don't learn that at a doctor's office. And she said, now, don't try 7-Up or Sprite. It has to be Sierra Mist because it has the quinine in it. Um, and then I, I thought of, since we talked before, Piper, I thought of another story that I just love. And this was the second or third year. Um, a family came out from, actually from Maryland, the state of Maryland to Illinois. And her husband had been falling a lot. He kept tumbling and falling. He was using a cane, but he kept stumbling and falling. Well, I walked into this a room in the afternoon, and here are three men who all have AFOs, and they have their AFOs off, and they're comparing how they work. Well, this gentleman, they didn't know, they I, I don't know if they'd had the maybe the proper care, but they didn't know how to use the AFO. So what they had done was bought shoes two sizes bigger than his feet so the AFO would fit down in it, and they split it down the side. So they had this shoe was just flopping on the foot that was uh, impaired. And so they said, oh, no, you need a boot. So they go, and they're showing how a little low-cut boot or a high-top sneaker type and uh, how to do that. And it was just fascinating, and it was funny because here's all these bare feet with their AFOs, and they're all chatting about it. And you can't plan this stuff. You simply can't. And um, I heard from the daughter um, two weeks after camp, and she said, we went and got fitted with the AFO for some boots, that a low-cut boot that zips up, and dad hasn't fallen in two weeks. And Oh, wow. So <laughs> That is awesome. And just for the layperson, what's the AFO? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the brace. Um, well, you, you might have a better term for it. Uh, it's what uh, someone who has foot drop or has trouble with um, mobility, it, it's a brace that fits like usually over the bottom of their foot and up their ankle, sometimes to the calf, um, that keeps them from having foot drop and allows them to walk when otherwise they might not be able to with that affected side of their stroke. I love that. I love that because we're always the ones who give people these assistive devices and we just say, hey, go out and use them. But the actuality of using that in a day-to-day life is very different than just assigning a person a device. So I love that story. 
And um, I really wanted to point out that these camps are not only for the stroke survivors, but they're as much for the stroke survivors as they are for the caregivers. Is that correct? Absolutely. We have one of the special things that we started with camp number one is our pampering time. And again, it's just as much for the survivor. But I was focusing on the caregivers and how we often uh, neglect our self-care because we are so we're scared. The first year or two, you're scared. And after that, you kind of settle in. Um, But the responsibilities, you sometimes don't balance your own personal life. So Saturday mornings at camp is pampering time. We do the paraffin hand dips. We have we always hire a couple of massage therapists for chair massages. We have foot massagers, leg massages, and we can do some chair yoga or have some uh, just meditation time with a music therapist. And it is, again, for both survivors and caregivers, but we find that the caregivers have often not taken a breath yeah, since that stroke happened. And that's a time for that. Um well, we always have a music therapist at every camp, and that uh, kind of provides a unique uh, opportunity for stroke survivors uh, to use music with aphasia, to use music with mobility, uh, the ways that music can help individuals in recovery. Um, but it also allows us for some campfire singing uh, and and just things that cause you some forced relaxation. Yeah. I think that's so important. And at what point in the stroke process do you usually people see people show up to camp? I don't know if you have kept track of that. Are they newer strokes, older strokes, or everything along along the line? Uh, kind of everything along the line. But the the when people ask me, uh, often that first year. Um, there is still that hope of of complete recovery, and there's maybe some unrealistic expectations of recovery. And sometimes people are just not quite ready to accept that that this is their new normal or this is the normal they're heading into. Um, typically, it's at least six months to a year out. It, um, now we've had people that came four or five months after a stroke and did wonderfully, but we, we kind of find it usually has to be somewhere around that six month to a year mark when it has settled in that I still have some work to do. I still need some support, but we've had people come to camp that were 15 or 20 years out that are showing us they're still improving, uh, trying new things. Uh, one of our camps had a, has a rock wall. And a young survivor, he was 28 when he had his stroke, and he came three years in a row. And each year he climbed a rock or two higher than the previous year until the last year when he climbed all the way to the top. Oh, I love that. That is And so there was cool. not a dry eye in oh. the house. So um, it's, it's empowering for these individuals. And even my husband... Um, when we go to camp, they'll say, oh, John, you're talking better. Oh. I don't know that I notice he's talking better, but someone that hasn't seen him for a year notices he's talking better. And that's right. so encouraging. So you do still attend the camps? Oh, yes. Yes. When Well, <laughs> I haven't. I, I am. I'm, the, I'm back this year. Uh, in 2021, um, I was diagnosed in the spring of breast cancer. So I had that surgery and chemo. And the following year, my mother was failing. She was 103, turning 104, and she was failing. And I really needed to give her that last year of her life in caregiving. So I stepped away from going to camps, um, but still stayed in the supervising and the creativity side of it. But this year, my mother passed in April. And this year, um, 
I'm getting back in uh, the habit of it. And so I will be directing a camp a little bit later this year. It's amazing. You have a ton of energy and I love I love it. It's very inspiring. Um, so who qualifies for this camps? How much do they cost and how do you go about applying? Well, we always have a fee for the campers. Um, and uh, th- there's a reason for that. Um, you know, par- partly to, to defray some of the cost of the weekend from the sponsoring facility, which is usually a hospital or a, a, a rehab center. Um, so the, the fee is $150 per camper for the entire weekend. That's food, that's lodging, that's everything they need, all the crafts. There's no extra charge. Um, I had somebody the first year say, what does it cost for the massage? I said, oh, no, everybody gets the same treatment, whether you are on a scholarship, which we do provide for those that need that, um, or you're able to pay the full amount. I, Those of us that have been uh, struck by stroke and lost income for a long period of time, um, I'm very understanding to that. So we do have a scholarship fund. We do ask for that $50 deposit for each camper, if at all possible. Um, Most people can pay that or a little bit more. um, And a lot of people pay the full amount. Most people pay the full amount. But if they need a scholarship, they just give a call to our office here in Peoria, and we'll give them a coupon code that will allow them to waive a portion of that fee when they register online. All the registrations are done online. If someone is not able to do the registration online, they can call and we'll set up a time to call them here at the office and register for them. I did one this morning, uh, registered a camper. Uh, so we're able to help out uh, you know, as much as possible here at the office. The only thing requirement-wise for disability and such is between the caregiver and the survivor, they need to be able to take care of their activities of daily living, bathing, toileting, transferring, that sort of thing. We do have a lot of volunteers at each camp, and they help through the food line, or they help companionship-wise maybe do a craft with the survivor, or maybe go down for a golf cart ride with a survivor and the caregiver gets a break, but they need to be able to do bathing, toileting, that sort of thing um, on their own. We do have some survivors who come without a caregiver if they are able to be fully independent. That is okay. But because it is as much for the caregiver, we do encourage caregivers uh, if it's at all possible. And what demographic are you seeing at these camps? Is it a range of ages and then a range of disabilities as well? Um, Range of ethnicity or social demographics? I'm just kind of curious about your population that you're pulling in. We are all across the board. Our youngest camper was six years old. Wow. Um, Our oldest, uh, as he came the first time, was 91. He came again when he was 92. Um, And the, the age range is all over the board. Uh, and as far as ethnicity or any of that social status, we we don't really ask any questions about, we really don't ask any questions at all about that. Uh, so it it's just, I do remember uh, it was interesting. This was a number of years ago and, and the lady called and I happened to take the call and she said, um, uh, she was a female and she said, um, my wife and I would like to come. Do you allow lesbian couples at camp? And I said, Absolutely. So, you know, I just, I think we are just open to uh, those that are interested in coming in whatever uh, situation they are living in, in life. It's perfectly okay with us. 
And can you talk a little bit about how you run the camps? You said that there's volunteers involved. Uh, do you have a couple people on staff who deploy out to these areas to to run the camps? And then do you get local volunteers or how does that work exactly for the staffing? Sure. Let me go over that. We uh, the, the sponsoring hospital or facility is we ask them to help recruit campers because we can't for, for HIPAA and all of that, we can't they can't share names with us. So we ask the uh, hospital or the rehab center to find the campers through their support groups or through uh, their hospital listings or through clinics uh, with PTs, OTs, and all of that. Uh, we also ask the hospital for the, the camp, the fee uh, to, to bring us to camp with everything that we bring and do. Uh, and then they are to provide between 12 and 15 volunteers for a full camp. Now, a full camp is 20 survivors, 20 caregivers. Oh, wow. Loosely speaking. Wow. We keep it, we keep it to that number or below because we don't want it to be too overwhelming for our survivors and caregivers. And then the hospital uh, needs to require, needs us uh, to, to bring to camp between 12 and 15 uh, volunteers for that weekend. The volunteers are there in a supportive role. They're not there professionally. Um, we do need one person to be the camp nurse, should there be a, an aspirin or a bug bite or something that needs to be taken care of. Uh, typically, there's not much of that going on. Uh, so, and then we bring a team of three to five people, depending on the size of the camp. Each year we have a different theme. So we bring all of the supplies for a wild and fun Saturday night of entertainment, of things throughout the weekend with music and games and activities, discussion group, uh, curriculums and everything. So we uh, bring that and execute that with the help of the volunteers. The volunteers come in earlier on Friday uh, for kind of a debriefing and a edu you know a, a education time for them to know what the weekend uh, brings. Campers come in Friday afternoon. Uh, we kick it off with a drum circle and introductions of everyone on Friday afternoon. Uh, and it goes until after the noon meal on Sunday when everyone departs around 1, 1.30 in the afternoon. It sounds incredibly fun and incredibly successful. And just in hearing you talk, it it sounds as if um, you've had repeat campers. So is that pretty common that people come back year after year? Uh, we haven't checked for a couple of years, but the last time we checked, 70% wow. of the campers return. And I'm curious to hear um, what some of the feedback is that you get after camp and how it has changed people's outlook on their stroke or their life. Uh, I think probably the biggest, most repetitive um, comment is for the entire weekend, I felt normal. Right. Everyone understood I was slow. They waited for my words. I felt normal. I felt understood. And um, I, I, I think that is just so powerful. And as far as... Uh, the caregivers say it's the first time I really breathed. It's the first right. time I felt relaxed. It's the first time I felt validated that what I was feeling, thinking, and living through, others were as well. I think that's probably the, one of the most powerful things, especially for the caregivers, is sharing those fears, sharing those challenges, and having someone else say, oh, yeah, this is what we did. This is how we coped. Um, and I know for me in those early years to see people that were eight or 10 years out, um, 
gave me hope. And now I'm 22 years out, I can give others hope. It's so inspiring just having been through it myself. Um, And I think that the caregiver aspect that you really emphasize is so huge because there's so much emphasis, especially in that first year or two, on the stroke patient. Um, And then the caregiver kind of gets overlooked. So to be able to bring them up and give their needs validation as well is just such a huge, huge service. Yeah, and I I think to to support that, uh, one of the motivators in the very beginning, um, John had had a lot of health issues prior to the stroke. So uh, a lot of his friends and family had been asking about him all the time. And I'd had an especially bad day, and he had had some meltdowns in those early years. You know how those meltdowns can be. And I was just challenged and discouraged. And I came across someone at well at Walgreens and, oh, Mary Lee, how's John doing? Oh. And, and in my soul, I said, oh, he's doing fine. He's just, we're coming along. But in my soul, I thought, does anybody care about me and how I'm doing? Oh, interesting. And interesting. that was one of those, that was one of those moments that I thought, I mean, and it wasn't that I wanted to take away from him and his needs, but in that moment, I'm like, he's doing fine, but, you know, I just had a meltdown. And right. I, <laughs> you know, I was just dealing with emotions that I don't even understand. Um, and nobody would know that, and I don't fault anybody for that, but that was probably one of those triggering moments that I need to do something, which moved me to action. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um and I think, you know, in Montana and here in Little Bozeman, we've tried so many times to start a stroke support group because I just think that that is the key to surviving all of this is having community and people you can talk with and unload on and, like you said, be able to feel normal with because your new normal is not your old normal. It is not necessarily normal. Uh, but we've had a really hard time starting a stroke support group. And I've heard it said that once you've met one stroke, you've met one stroke because all strokes are so different. So it can be sort of hard to relate if you have somebody with not very much disability to somebody with a lot of disability. Um, It can be hard in a support group to really find that valuable. So I'm curious if you have any recommendations on how to get a support group up and running because we haven't been very successful with it here in Bozeman, and we don't have great ones in Montana, I don't think. That can be all over the board. We And I'm very familiar with some f- phenomenal support groups and, and um, have been participating in some that are not, you know, as, as good as others. Um, the thing uh, here locally, we had a good support group going, and then it went through several transitions with different staff people and such. And about a year ago, they asked us at United Stroke Alliance and Retreat and Refresh Stroke Camp if we would take on the leadership of the local support group. So I will go, I will tell you, we started with two to three people attending. We did have a list of names and addresses. So we decided that we would tackle one year of sending a monthly postcard and have a theme and an activity and a snack at each meeting for at least a year. And I am proud to say that over this last 10 months, we started 10 months ago, over the last 10 months, we've had over 40, between 40 and 50 different people come. We did have a list of about 120 people and by far, no, everyone hasn't come. We stay connected with postcards, uh, mailers, 
and then we distribute those to the rehab center. And we have some really good PTs and OTs that are that support us here locally. Uh, and we we bring in both of the hospitals that that are here in Peoria. And kind of word of mouth, but the thing that I that I think has worked is. Uh, we give them an idea of what we're going to do at the next meeting. Uh, and they, I mean, I'm telling you, food brings people. We have a snack and a little drink and a snack, you know. I was just going to say, that's the one thing we're missing. We haven't offered the snack. So there you go. And well, and, and actually we kicked it off in November last year because we used to always have a Thanksgiving dinner and they hadn't done that for a few years. So we kicked it off with, we're going to bring back our Thanksgiving dinner and everybody brings a covered dish and we had 25 people oh that's show great. up and you know and it, it's just it's interesting so you know it might just be popcorn and some water and some little tiny soda cans and things but we have we have tried to have something to snack on um and a couple of times we've had people that wanted to bring something and then sometimes people will bring something because they made it and they wanted to share um we also kind of try and have a, a time where we discuss a break, kind of a breakout like we do at camp with survivors and caregivers with some questions about what you do for yourself or what you do for fun or whatever the question is. And then sometimes we just, uh, we play a game or we have some kind of, a, of an activity. Uh, in a couple of months, I'm going to do uh, adaptive equipment. We've got an extensive adaptive equipment demonstration. I'm going to take that. Um, we have a physical therapist uh, that does in-home physical therapy that's going to come and speak. We've talked about uh, essential oils. We've talked about depression. I mean, uh, we try and have it a mix of education part of the time and just sitting around shooting the breeze part of the time. Okay. Those are great tidbits of advice. We're definitely going to up our game in Montana and uh we're going to start offering some some good food and see what we can get because it is so important for our community. And, I mean, it did require it did require a budget, but I I stood firm. I said if we're going to do this, we're going to do it my way. <laughs> That's what we, and I and I know how to throw a party. <laughs> we need you. I think we need your energy. So come visit us anytime. I'd love to. <laughs> and um, now let's see. You said your mom was 103, so you are by no means old, but you're not young. So I'm curious what your long-term vision is for Refresh and Retreat Stroke Camp and what you see your role is um, in the coming years. Uh, I think my, well, my mother volunteered for us doing name badges and such until she was 98. Um, so I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. Um, I love the creative part of it. I love the directing as well. I love going to the camps and being with the people. I will not be able to do as many of those as I have in the past. Um, I'm a very energetic 75 year old, um, but, uh, and John's health is uh, deteriorating slowly. And so he can't, I can't leave him and I can't go without, he needs to go with me. So I'll have to be careful about that. But I see myself staying in leadership and creativity, uh, bringing on some younger people, which we are slowly but surely doing, that have a passion for what we do uh, and kind of pass the baton. We have a theme each year, we do a different theme. And I have several creative people that work with me. And then we do kind of a retreat, bringing all of our people together who understand camp, understand what will work, what won't work, 
um, when we do a, a weekend. So I, I don't see myself retiring anytime soon at all. Um, maybe not working as many hours or needing the flexibility if John needs help. Uh, but I, I don't see myself really retiring anytime soon. We have um, the possibility of up to 30 camps next year. So we've brought on some new people that can train. Uh, we manage this with a short, very small staff of seven people and an army of volunteers who travel from different parts of the country uh, to act in leadership. We call them our volunteer staff. We pay all their expenses to go to camp and and uh, it's no expense to them, but they're not compensated financially in any way other than the benefits that they get uh, going to camp and helping us out. So that's how we manage to do it um, is, is through those means. And we're lucky in Montana to have a um, refresh and retreat stroke camp right here in our very own state in Red Lodge, Montana. And I think it's generally held in October. Do you know what the date is this year by any? Uh, this year, I think the date is set for October 20, 20th to the 22nd. Okay. And can you tell a little bit about how you might go about signing up for that? Uh, it is open for registration on our website, strokecamp.org. And you just, it, there's a button that says find a camp and you scroll down until you find the camp and click on register and they can register right there. If they need help with the cost, the, uh, the phone number is there to give us a call at the office for a coupon code, um, or they can just say pay offline and give us a call later and, and, and we can figure that out. Uh, and then they get a, uh, an instant reply that says they are registered and then we pick it up from there. Uh, until until the camp, providing them with information about travel and all of that sort of thing. And it sounds like if you're interested in volunteering, you can find information on that site as well. There's a place for campers to volunteer and there's a uh, campers to register and volunteers to register. Great. I, I love when I was uh, typing this out, retreat and refresh is uh, R&R. So I sort of like that. I don't know if you did that on purpose, but a little R&R for um, our stroke survivors and their caregivers. Mary Lee, thank you so much for sharing your life's work with us and your story. Um, you're incredibly inspirational. And I am just so excited to reach out to our stroke survivors in Montana based off of what you have done and see if I can't get a support group going. Well, if you need some assistance and some thoughts and some things that we have done that succeeded, you just reach out and I'll be glad to, on the QT, pass on my information. <laughs> thank you so much and thank you for joining us here today. And yeah, don't quit what you're doing because we need you. Um... Thank you so much for listening in. If you want to learn more about this project, you can go to Heart org forward slash Mission Lifeline Montana. A Huda Media Production.